Welcome. This is Karen Modakaitis, and you're listening to How She Really Does It, the place where inspiration and possibility meet. All right, you all. I have lost track of what week of COVID we are in <laughs> in California. We're about to move to stage three and slowly reopen. With that said, I have a yay me moment. I know that when this all first started, people were decluttering and doing stuff, and I wasn't, I was working a ton, but I had a few of my decluttering moments this week. So I was really proud about that. One of the things that I love is Christmas cards. And if you've ever come to my house, when you walk in, in the entryway, I put the Christmas cards up on the wall. And so I call it the hallway of love. I just love them. And I've always saved them in with the intention of making them into these books, these little booklets with the Christmas cards and seeing them. So I still haven't taken the ones down from the wall, but I will be doing that. But I had three years of Christmas cards that I could easily find and I organized them and I put them together. And so I have 2016, 2013, and 2012 done. I believe those are the years I have done. And maybe it was 2011, but I have three years done. So that was quite the accomplishment. So those are my COVID decluttering, making my world a little bit better. So for those of you out there that have been struggling because you are keeping your head above water, you know, you're maintaining, that is a yay you moment, right? We don't have to go through these huge transformations during this time. I know there's a lot of who are you going to become through this process. It's okay. Be gentle with yourself. Be accepting to what you have the capacity to do and what you don't have the capacity to do. It wasn't until this week that I had the capacity to do that. And I also went through a stack of papers that have been sitting on my desk since March. So finally got that part organized. Those are the two things that I've done during COVID. And I'm not allowed to beat myself up. I'm not allowed to, you know, think I should have done more because I didn't have the capacity. My capacity was maxed out and that's okay. So you meet yourself where you are, but those are my yay me moments. I was pretty excited. All right. Time to do a shout out to Jen Fire 9 She left an Apple podcast review. So thank you. Thank you, Jen Fire 9 She said, so many mind-blowing nuggets. I've been listening to Corinne for the last year or so by recommendation of my therapist. She always is able to phrase concepts so that they make sense and have actionable steps to move forward with and episodes are always inspiring. What you need to believe in yourself was particularly mind-blowing. The whole episode was making sense, and then bam, those last five minutes dropped some big thought-provoking wisdom. Who are you under the self-loathing and self-criticism? What is the world missing by you not believing in yourself? Who is the world missing? Thank you, Corinne, for your persistent inspiration and for sharing your constructive compassion with the world. Ooh, I love that constructive compassion. But those are seriously great questions to ask yourself. Like they're great questions and it's going to be a great segue into what we're talking about today about applied knowledge and intellectual knowledge. Really answer those questions. Get out a piece of paper, write about it. It's okay. It's a piece of paper. You can always throw it away, but write about it. Put it down. Who are you underneath that self-loathing and self-criticism? What is the world missing 
by you not believing in yourself? And who is the world missing? Those questions answer to the work. Okay, so today I'm talking about just because you know it doesn't mean you live it. And this is a really important concept for all of us to really consider and pay attention to because we have these sneaky rules we live by. They're sneaky. We're not even aware of it until maybe I'm pointing it out to you today and you're like, oh crap, that's right. We have this belief that if we know something, that means we're supposed to be doing it. Well, you know, Corinne, everybody's been telling me that I'm supposed to lose weight during this COVID. I'm supposed to be connecting with other people. I'm supposed to be decluttering my house. I'm supposed to make everything a better place and make myself better during this pandemic. (laughs) So you may know it, but you may not be living it. And then you're beating yourself up because you're not living it. Just because we know something, the rule that we've been living by is that we must do it. We must live by it. We must be it. But my friend, that is just not how it works. And it's important to put the spotlight on the sneaky rule because again, without realizing any of this, we use our own lack of not doing it, not living by it, not being it as permission to beat ourselves up. And frankly, we do that too much. So first, let's stop beating ourselves up. I'm serious about this. It doesn't work and it only adds more pain to the pain we already have. And we all have enough pain, so stop beating yourself up. And here's the truth. We all know lots of stuff and we don't do it. And it's not because we're bad or broken or not good enough. It's because frankly, we aren't meant to do it all. And you aren't doing it because it's not a priority in your life right now as you haven't made space for it. I hadn't made space for those Christmas cards to be able to organize them. I've had Christmas cards since 2011. I'm recording this in 2020. I'm sure I have Christmas cards before 2011. Or maybe it was 2012. I don't remember. And I have three more years of Christmas cards that I still haven't finished for this time. And it's okay. It hasn't been a priority as I've been going through this global pandemic. There've been other things that my attention has been focused on. A lot of it has been work and a lot of it has been supporting the people that I'm responsible for, meaning my family, my clients, the aqua monsters. And in order to support those people, I had to take really good care of myself. Those were my priorities, not some project of organization. So I've been okay by not doing it all these years and it was fun to do it and look through the pictures and it brought me some joy. So we aren't meant to do it all. And I'm sharing all of this with you, of course, without judgment. Judgment does not help us grow. Judgment creates so much pain. So let's not judge. Let's be compassionate or as Jen Fire said, constructively compassionate, right? Another set of rules that we've all lived by are we're supposed to put everyone else in front of us. You can't be selfish. You can get to your stuff once you're done with this list. Remember Cinderella, the stepmother said, oh yes, once you can go to the ball, once you get all these things done and made a really obscene list. (laughs) That's what we do to ourselves. We're like our own evil stepmother to ourselves. 
Or here's another one. There's not enough time. And I can almost say that that is true because I'm really good at coming up with lots and lots of projects. And then what I have to focus on are the constraints of what's really important. What do I have capacity to do? What do I want to do? Like I'm an adult. I get to choose those things. So while there may not be enough time, yeah, there's not enough time for me to do everything. And I don't frankly want to do everything. But what am I going to make the time for? So those rules of putting others in front of us, of you're not allowed to be selfish, right? If you do something for yourself, that's selfish. Or that you can get your stuff done once you get everybody else's items done on your list, or there's not enough time. Those other rules have gotten in the way of you living what you know. And know this, you aren't the only one who knows things but doesn't do it. That is our whole world. We're really good at this. And let's think about this. Until COVID-19, how many of us were really, were truly good at washing our hands? <laughs> think about that. There was a study about public bathrooms where people, and I don't know what the percentage was, but essentially people were better at washing their hands when there was somebody else in there than when there was nobody in there watching. <laughs> so we're not even accountable with washing our hands. And then one of the things I noticed is I was really good and my hands were really raw and I was washing all the time. And then as we were in quarantine, I became less diligent about it. I was like, I became more cavalier, not that I was going anywhere anyways, but I noticed that it's like, oh, I need to remember to wash my hands. These are practices I want to maintain of washing my hands. So of course, when I come home and I come inside the house, I wash my hands. But what we know and what we do, there can be a gap. We don't need to judge ourselves, but it's about paying attention to that. So know that this happens. There's a gap between our knowing and how we live, how we do, how we be, and that's okay. Now, if you don't want that gap, then it's about looking and exploring it, closing that gap. And how do we do that is understanding that the knowing is intellectual knowledge, So intellectual knowledge is the knowing. And we get this intellectual knowledge from reading books, listening to podcasts, going to conferences, going to school. We get this knowledge and you have it, but you may not be living it and doing it and being it. And that, my friend, is applied knowledge. And what we need to live it is to apply the knowledge that we have. Now, there are parameters to applying knowledge. And here's the big one, and you're not going to like it. When you apply knowledge, you will make mistakes. (laughs) Remember this. When you apply knowledge, you'll make mistakes. We have this fantasy land of, okay, I've learned this. I've listened to these nuggets. And now I'm going to just magically live it. And it's going to be go swimmingly. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be fantastic. Instead of, oh, there's going to be obstacles, there's going to be mistakes, there's going to be falling down moments. I talk about falling down moments all the time because that is the pathway, my friend. So to apply the knowledge, understand that you will make mistakes and that is okay. That is how we learn. That's how we live it. That's how we get it in our bones. And I realize for those of you who are closeted perfectionists, and there's no judgment in that, like just own it. Last summer, I realized like, oh my gosh right? Because we understand that perfection is the birthplace for shame and that 
we don't need to be perfect and there's no such thing as perfection. Even Miley Cyrus was telling us that in Hannah Montana, <laughs> like what, 10 years ago, 11 years ago, you're right, nobody's perfect. But doesn't mean, again, we know it, doesn't mean we live it and we'll become a closeted perfectionist. So what may happen for those of you, you're going to want to believe that, look, okay, Corinne, yeah, this making mistakes thing isn't going to happen because I'm going to be the exception. I'm going to work really hard and not make any mistakes. That way I can get to this other place faster. That's why I can get to this applied knowledge faster. My friend, give yourself the space to make mistakes, not detrimental mistakes, but make mistakes, right? We want to make mistakes that we can come back from and we're going to have fallen down moments. So you're going to take like those questions that Jen Fire put in the review. There's not a right or wrong. You're not turning it into a teacher to get graded. You're not turning it into me where I say, oh, you're wrong. So you can make mistakes. You can start writing and then come back to it. And in a day or two say, oh, actually, that's not who I am underneath. And get more clear about who you are and what's underneath. But if you don't start the process, you never apply it. Okay, so you will make mistakes. And when we think that we're going to work really hard and it's not going to happen to us and that we're going to be the exception, that is another way that we self-sabotage ourselves because we're not allowing ourselves the space to make mistakes. We're putting the pressure on ourselves that we must get there fast. And because we want the certainty of knowing that it will happen, it will happen. You will get there. Trust it. That is vulnerable. I understand. So over 10 years ago, I was going through some hard time in my life and I'd made a decision. Essentially it was what you would call burning the boats. There was no going back. And this is when I left my tenure job and it was right in the middle of a financial crisis, right? And I'd always wanted security and that was a really important thing since I was 11 years old. And here I had this safe, secure job in terms of you know, tenure and I knew how much I would make for the rest of my life and they couldn't fire me. But I chose to leave and it was in the middle of the crisis. And I knew it was the middle of the crisis and stuff and some other stuff had occurred. And I remember at one point, I wanted to know, did I make the right decision? Should I have stayed? And remember, I couldn't go back. Once I left, I knew there was no going back. But I would sit there and agonize. Did I make the right decision? I don't know. And maybe I should have stayed. And all I was doing was creating all this unnecessary pain and suffering in my brain. And then my solution to all of this madness was I would wish to be 80 years old so that I knew how my story turned out. I was like, okay, I just need to get to the other side of this so that I knew I was okay. And I was serious about it. I'm like, I'm like I want to be 80. I want to be 80. And one day when I finally created some awareness around this, I was like, wait a second. I think it was 37 at the time, maybe 36. And I was like, wait, I'm willing to skip ahead 43 years to be 80 to see if I made the right decision. And what I realized was I was looking for the perfect decision, right? Whereas like that gold star, that A plus, like, oh, Corinne, you did it right But the problem was, is if I went to being 80, I couldn't come back and be back and be 37. So that's the problem that was happening with my brain. 
is that it wanted me to be able to move through time, which wasn't going to happen and I wasn't going to be able to come back. And I realized, hey, Corinne, you don't want to lose 43 years. Not that it's even possible, but you don't want to lose 43 years. So my awareness helped me from trying to get someplace faster to get to certainty. We do this to ourselves all the time. Let me just get through this so I know that it all worked out. But are you then skipping out and missing those moments, whether it's six weeks, six months, a year through this COVID? How about paying attention to today? So here's what I had to do. I had to get brave and commit to the choices that I made and make them great choices. Now, 10 years later, I have come to appreciate my decision. I'm grateful for the choices I made. Yes, there were lots of falling down moments. Yes, I'm doing really well. I know I made a great decision. And it actually didn't even take me 10 years to get here, right? So I thought I had to be 80, but it didn't take me that long. And I'm grateful today that I have 33 more years to enjoy my life until I turn 80. And who knows, maybe 80 will be great. But right now, I'm enjoying being 47. So that is something that we want to get out of this. We got to get do it faster, faster, because what we want is the certainty. We want to know it works. And what you have to do is trust that it's going to work and check in. Am I alive? Am I okay? You know, for me, it was my family's taken care of. Like, we're all safe. We're all healthy. Like, I had to remind myself of the truth instead of trying to get to someplace in the future And my life when I'm 80 is going to look really different. My daughters are going to be grown adults, you know, hopefully having their own families. My life will look very different than it does today, as it should. So now I want to talk about applied knowledge. So intellectual knowledge, remember, is listening to podcasts, reading books. All of that is great. It's fantastic. It's great to learn. You know, it's great to talk about things. And applied knowledge is the doing. It's the being. It's the living. So I want to use fitness as an example. So again, back when I was at the college, I used to teach a class of beginning swimming. So I taught health and then I taught swimming classes and physical education classes. And this was an interesting arena because it's really vulnerable for people. They're coming in, they're anywhere from 18 to 86. And a lot of people had their own trauma of past experiences with swimming you know, maybe some near drowning, knowing somebody drowned, then the shame of not knowing how to swim and being an adult. Then there's the shame of having to be in a bathing suit, right? And worrying about other people judging them and so on and so forth. But we would learn how to swim. And we teach them, we would learn how to swim. And I learned how to overcome the obstacles that my students had. And one was that my students wanted to be able to get credit, to sit in the bleachers and the pool was indoors and they want to get credit to sit in the bleachers because they would have some sort of a justification of why they couldn't get in that day. And what I quickly learned was no, by sitting in the bleachers, you're actually not learning. You're taking in information if you're even paying attention, but it's very passive. You're watching and listening, but you're not really engaged and you're not going to actually be able to apply what I was teaching. So that would be intellectual knowledge. So I actually didn't allow it. I would tell my students, and I believed I was a tough teacher, I was fiercely compassionate, right? There's no point coming to class. Like if you can't get in, don't come to class, go take care of your life. If you have kids, go take care of your kids. If you have homework, go do that. If you have a job, go to that. 
you want to get credit for the class, you must be in the water attempting the exercises. That cleaned up a lot of stuff right away of the people of wanting to sit on the sidelines. You can't sit on the sidelines and learn how to swim. It just doesn't work that way. It doesn't matter what you know. It's about what you do. So the students who were in the pool were bravely showing up in their swimsuits, bravely putting their face in the water, bravely facing their fears and traumas of previous near drowning experiences. They were the ones who were learning how to swim because they were applying the knowledge they were getting in class. So they were applying it. They were doing it. They may not wanted to do it. They may have thought of a thousand different ways to get out of class that day. But because of the structure and the container that I established, and because they signed up for it, it gave them additional motivation to actually go through the discomfort of coming to class in the middle of the day, putting on a swimsuit, you know, being uncomfortable walking out with a towel around themselves in their swimsuit and then getting in the water. For those of you who don't swim, typically pools are like 80 to 82 degrees, which sounds pretty warm, except our body temperature, I think is 98 degrees. So it's a little cool to get in when you first get in. When we were getting ready for the Olympics, there was a USA Swimming did a commercial and they interviewed all the athletes, the swimmers about what's the worst thing about swimming. Like every single Olympian was like getting in the water. When you're a little kid, you're so excited. (laughs) Then as you get older, you realize, oh gosh, there's that four laps, that hundred yards where I've got to go through the discomfort of getting in and my body transitioning. It's great on a hundred degree day, but it's not so great most days. So there is that discomfort. And that was the things, there were many discomforts that my students went through to get to the applied knowledge. For you to take this intellectual knowledge in this podcast on books, you must go through the discomfort of applying it. Someone's going to be your own discomfort of expecting perfection, expecting yourself to do it fast and realizing, oh my God, it's going to be way slower and being okay with that. There's going to be many different levels of discomfort, but that's part of the process of applying knowledge. So my students were the ones who were learning how to swim because they applied the knowledge they were gathering in the class. They tried it. And sometimes it would seem so simple. You know, again, these were adults and we were in three and a half to four and a half feet of water. And I don't know what the metric conversion is, but one of the things that I would remind them and was very compassionately, and this is really before I even understood compassion was remember that if you get nervous or freaked out, put your feet on the ground, you can stand up. It seems so common sense. And we want to judge that and be like, seriously, I'm such an idiot. I don't even realize that none of that stuff helps you guys. It's really about talking to yourself because when you get into that fight or flight brain, that's why people drown in shallow water because they forget what they already know and putting their feet on the ground. So as you're going through and closing the gap between what you know intellectually and applying it, be compassionate, remind your stuff of the simple things. You know, remember when I was talking about my own hardship over 10 years ago and what I had to do was going, okay, my family's healthy. We're all safe right now. You know, there's plenty of food. Like I just went through very pragmatically what were the truth. I didn't try to, you know, make these great scenarios or any of that stuff. It's what did I know for sure today? What do you know for sure today? That will help you ground yourself. 
Now, going back to learning how to swim, it's one of the most transforming things a human can do, whether it's a three-year-old or an 85-year-old or any age in between. It's truly transformational. That's why I like to talk about swimming. That's why I love to be still be part of the swimming process because it's truly empowering. You may have the guidance of others and the support of others, especially like the little kids who, you know, we're holding on to as we're teaching them how to swim. And then at some point they do it themselves. That's magical, right? When you learn how to swim, you are transforming your life because it's not something that you can pay for somebody else to do for you. You must do the work. And here's what it takes. It takes practice. It takes bravery. It takes willingness to try again after making mistakes. It takes commitment. And when one learns to swim, you're really not meant to do it alone. (laughs) Think about that. I thought about that as I was writing this podcast. I thought, wait, can somebody learn how to swim on their own? I don't know of anybody who's taught themselves on their own. So in my world of swimming, right? There's always been somebody there. So swimming is this great metaphor of if you want to transform your life, these are the things to do. And remember, you're not supposed to go it alone. Create a structure for yourself. Have people who can support you. Be willing to practice and make mistakes. Remind yourself that it takes bravery. And some days I'm like, you guys, this is serious. Like bravery is my number one value. And some days I'm like, I don't want to be brave anymore. I'm over this braveness. (laughs) I can't be brave, right? Like I have this little pity party. That is part of the process. That's normal. You're doing it right. I think that's probably the number one question my clients ask me, Corinne, am I doing it right? Or am I the only one? Are there other people out there like me? These are really smart, intelligent people who, you know, think when they get in this pain place and they lose their own perspective that they're the only one. I don't want to be brave. There are many days I don't want to be brave. And it's my number one value. That one has not shifted. It is strong. It is how I move through life, right? And I gave you examples of those students coming out onto that pool deck. They're so afraid to be seen in their swimsuit. They're so afraid to put their face in the water and blow bubbles because what if they choked on the water? So I had to teach them how to blow air out of their mouth, even though this is something that we all know how to do on land, doing it in the water, petrified them. And they learned how to swim, not because I judged them, because I didn't. They learned how to swim because we created a safe space, physically safe and emotionally safe. That is how transformation happens. That is what you need to do for yourself is create a safe space. And you don't have to always create all the structures. That's really important. Find those safe spaces for you to transform. Learning to swim is the metaphor I've used today for transforming your life, for you to live what you know, right? For you to create that applied knowledge. So I invite you to stop beating yourself up for the gap between your intellectual knowledge and your applied knowledge. Stop telling yourself the lies that because you know it, you're just going to do it or you're supposed to do it. Do you even want to do it is the first question. Some of you may be like, Corinne, I'm not at all interested in learning how to swim. That's fine, right? You do you. What are your values? What are your priorities? What are your capacity? When you want to live with applied knowledge, start by applying your knowledge in small steps. One of my favorite sayings, and this is just a great reminder for me, small hinges move big doors, right? We want to get these big, massive movements done, Learning how to swim 
means coming out of the locker room in your swimsuit with a towel on. Remembering that everybody else is petrified to have people see their body once underneath their clothes. Then the next thing is being willing to enter the water and knowing it's going to be cold at first. Then there's issues with your hair. There's so many different things to overcome, but it's those small steps. And there's going to be all that resistance you're going to overcome. 99% of the time, my students felt damn proud of themselves, right? Because they're like, hey, I did this. I honored that commitment to myself. I was willing to be uncomfortable. And I'm starting to understand all the stuff that Corinne is saying and actually able to do it. Wow. You know, it's starting to sound like English to me. (laughs) So when you apply your knowledge, remember it takes practice. You are planting seeds. Don't expect immediate transformation. And when you do that, just know and you catch it and you're like, oh, there I go again. (laughs) I want it to be done all really fast. I get it. I'm right there with you. I'm like, wait, why did that take that long? It shouldn't have, right? And I abandoned the word should like 12 years ago and that still can come up in my vocabulary. True transformation happens over time, my friend. We want to create sustainable practices to create that and support that transformation. Know this. You really got this. You do. In some days when you can't believe in yourself, no, I'm believing in you. Really, I am. It is possible. One of the things that I've learned is if I can teach an 86-year-old Asian woman who had near drowning experiences when she was young, if I can teach her how to swim, I can teach and help other people overcome just about anything, right? She had huge trauma in her life and she learned how to swim and swim independently and swim for an hour, right? This is a person who could not do it. It took us four semesters to get there, right? She kept showing up. We kept practicing and she did it and she became an independent swimmer and she was so empowered in herself and in her life. And again, swimming is the metaphor. So we're not talking just about swimming. I'm using it as the lens for you. So whatever it is that replaces swimming for you, the transformation that you want to have, give yourself the space and the structure to go out and practice and commit to it. And you may be like, okay, I can set this up for myself and you know what you want. Or you may need somebody else to set up the space for you. And there's nothing wrong with that. What you need is a dedicated space for you to apply the intellectual knowledge from this podcast, the intellectual knowledge from the books that you're reading. So I have a space in my kitchen where I have been applying for years now, my practice of making coffee. When I first started making coffee out of just like a coffee machine, the coffee I made was like ridiculously horrible. And I had a girlfriend at the time who had used to own one of the coffee shops in town and she actually came to my house and tried to teach me how to make coffee out of my coffee pot. And it was still horrible. I hated it. And part of me thought, well, maybe I'm just not going to drink coffee at home. But I was really determined to learn how to make good coffee at home. And so here I went on this crusade and I make really good coffee now. And I'm this total coffee snob. I get it. And I am. And But I have this process and I have this space and it's dedicated. And I've been practicing it every day for the last probably about 10 years. So I'm pretty damn good at making coffee and I'm really particular about making the coffee, but I have the space in my kitchen that I make that coffee. That is one way to do it. Now, another way is 
that I've been applying things is having the support that I need, especially during this time. So I was thinking about this yesterday. I have Peloton. I do my physical therapy exercises with my Folsom Physical Therapy group. We are on Zoom. We do these group exercise classes together. I have a schedule, you know, that I'm able to abide by it. And then my kids and we have a structure in our home. And that's how I've been able to do these daily workouts. I used to have this old voice in my head of Corinne. Well, you are a coach, like not just even a life coach, you're an athletic coach. You can design the workouts. You shouldn't be having somebody else do it. I don't want to spend the brain juice to designing my own workouts. I'd rather show up and have somebody tell me what to do. Not many people get the opportunity to tell me what to do, but these are definite spaces that I'm willing to part my money with to have the structure where I can show up and I can be led. And so for you, as you go through this idea of knowing and wanting to get into this applied living is, do you have the space to create a diligent practice? Like I was example with making my coffee or with my own journaling. I do that every morning. And then there's spaces that I need that I pay for to belong to, to give me the structure to support me to apply my knowledge. So that is for you to look at where is the gap between intellectual knowledge and applied knowledge? What support do you need? Is it the support that you need a space in your home to be able to do it? Or do you need somebody to support you? So look around in your life, noticing the gap between your intellectual knowledge and your applied knowledge. And what is the structure that you need? Either you create it or who else is creating it so that you can show up. I use the example of gyms. That's another example, right? Gyms have a structure where it's set up and all of us who had gym memberships have had to figure out how do we create that structure now in this COVID situation. Don't judge yourself. Don't beat yourself up. You're going to make mistakes, but you will get there. I know you will. And applying the knowledge is where transformation happens. So I'm so excited for you to take this intellectual knowledge, the ones that you really want, and then to go out and apply it and do it without beating yourself up, without judgment and allowing yourself the space to fall down and to get back up. All right, my friend, I'm smiling big for you. Hey, If you enjoy listening to this podcast, you'll love my weekly emails. I know you're thinking, Karen, really? Do I want another email in my overflowing inbox? Yes, you do. Yippee, skippy, you do. These are short. They're sweet. On Fridays, I send out the Friday podcast. It's a great reminder that there's a new show and it comes straight into your inbox of the latest episode. Awesome. You click on it, you go straight because we all need reminders. We have busy full lives. And then on Sundays, I have my Sunday love column. And these are emails I write from the heart. They're filled with love. We need more love. We all do, myself included. These are short emails where you get a quick takeaway so you can incorporate this into your life because people often want to know, what to do and how to do it. And maybe sometimes it's a story that you get, or there's like one time I wrote about the 10 ways to practice gratitude. And that became such a great tool when one of the readers was struggling in the middle of the night, because it can be a scary place in our brains in the middle of the night. And she remembered the email that I sent about 10 ways to practice gratitude. And she was able to practice gratitude and fall back asleep. And that 
was an awesome lesson for her to incorporate into her life. Go to the show notes and there's a link in the show notes where you can sign up and get these emails in your box. On a lake, she is dreaming, she is drifting, never been so wild.